So we're picking up on our series, uh, Rebuild, Rebuilding, and uh, Pindawake means build again. So we got that, and we'll see what we have next week. But what we want to uh, kind of just really zero in on is the story of Nehemiah, which is the rebuilding of a nation through rebuilding a city. And today we look at uh, faith's first actual steps. And so I want to take us to Nehemiah chapter 1, and we're going to pick up the reading at verse 11. Lord, let your ear be attentive to the prayer of this your servant and to the prayer of your servants who delight in revering your name. Give your servant success by granting him favor in the presence of this man. Your servant being Nehemiah, this man being the king. And then he explains the two role players. I was cupbearer to the king. And in the month of Nisan, which was four months after he had first heard the news, in the 20th year of King Xerxes, when wine was brought to him, I took the wine and gave it to the king. I had not been sad in his presence before. So the king asked me, why does your face look so sad when you are not ill? This can be nothing but sadness of heart. I was very much afraid, but said to the king, May the king live forever. Why should my face not look sad when the city of my ancestors lies, um, are bur- where my ancestors are buried, lies in ruins, and its gates are destroyed by fire? And the king said to me, What is it you want? And then I prayed to the God of heaven, and I answered the king. I prayed to the God of heaven, and I answered the king. If it pleases the king, and if your servant has found favor in his sight, let him send me to the city in Judah where my ancestors are buried, so that I can rebuild it. Then the king, with the queen sitting beside him, asked me, How long will your journey take? When will you get back? It pleased the king to send me. So I set a time. And I also said to him, If it pleases the king, may I have letters to the governors of the trans-Euphrates so they will provide me safe conduct until I arrive in Judah. And may I have a letter to Asaph, keeper at the royal park, so that he will give me timber to make beams for the gates of the citadel by the temple, for the city wall, and for the residence I'll need to occupy. And because the gracious hand of my God was on me, the king granted my requests. So I went to the governors of the trans-Euphrates and gave them the king's letters, The king had also sent army officers and cavalry with me. When Sanballat the Horonite and Tobiah the Ammonite official heard about this, they were very much disturbed that someone had come to promote the welfare of the Israelites. Now, in the first few weeks of the series, we've already seen Jeremiah's concern for the well-being and the welfare of his people who are living without protection access to, fair, uh, to fairness and justice, economic access, sanctuary, uh, because the walls are broken and the gates are burned with fire. And this moves him to the prayer that finishes, as it were, in our reading today, with the petition for favor with some strategic person. Notice in that prayer, just remind you for last week, His faith in the Lord is not landlocked. He's no longer just the God back in Israel. He is the God of heaven. Everything is under him. And his theology is anchored 
in a good and loving and covenant-keeping God who is not to blame for their suffering, but he's willing to restore his people if they will return to him. And so out of this faith comes the grace to believe and ask for favor. You see, part of the context is that he is cupbearer to the king. Uh, This wasn't a minor position. The ancient kings often kept rolls of honor of their cupbearers as this was a powerful but dangerous uh, office in a Middle Eastern court. And Nehemiah himself would have been highly trusted by the king, yet he would have been exposed to a heck of a lot of palace intrigue. And, as Bevan pointed out, he would have been expendable in his personal capacity. If Nehemiah got his job wrong, not only did the king die, but he died. And even if he got it partly wrong and the king didn't die, he still died. So he had a lot of power to make sure that those eventualities didn't happen. So he would have kind of been like the head of the secret service or the chief bodyguard. Uh, But just like in our secret service due to intrigue, the next thing, you know, the next king could come in and start a Zondo commission and find out what was all rotten inside the state security agency. So, you know, you're always living in this kind of hectic space. So in spite of his position... In spite of his trust, in spite of this relationship with the king, he was not allowed, together with anyone else, to be sad in the king's presence. Now, I don't know, that must have led to some pretty crazy, like, cabinet meetings when you're not allowed to be sad in the king's presence. You know, how, how do you not be sort of, like, troubled when the king sends someone to be executed or decides to destroy a town or does something. You know, everyone's sitting in the room and they're like, (laughs) you know, trying to stay happy in the king's presence while all this stuff is going down. I I don't know if I wanted to be that king with people smiling at me all the time. But in any case, um, eyes wide, mouth terrified, you know, I don't know. So it's in this complicated place of intrigue and yet with deep faith that Nehemiah takes his first steps of faith. So the first thing I want us to see today is faith's risk. Number one, faith's risk. Nehemiah had had been able, and the reasons are not explained, for four months to conceal his grief and mourning. And like we learned from Queen Esther, you went to the king without being summonsed at risk of your life. And when you were there, you were required to put your own personal longings and wants and stuff out of your mind and focus exclusively on pleasing this king. To show sorrow was a dangerous business. Yet Nehemiah's prayer shows us he knows he needs to engage the king about what is on his heart. So incredibly for him, it takes a life and death decision to show his emotions. It takes a lot of faith. 
And so this is his moment, literally as he carries the cup to the king, and he hasn't got the smile on his face, and he allows his heart to be seen. It's his moment of stepping into the river in flood, his moment of not bowing to an idol. It's his moment of laying his, himself and everything he holds dear on the altar before him. It's his moment of, like Peter, stepping out of the boat. This is his first actual step of faith, and Artaxerxes is on it in a flash. Why are you looking so sad? But there's enough favor, enough answer to the prayer for the king to inquire rather than react. This can be nothing but sadness of heart. I love the honesty. In spite the first step of faith already taken, Nehemiah tells us in the middle of this moment, I was really, really scared. I was very much afraid. You see, the courage of faith that we need is not the absence of the feelings of fear. I was very much afraid. It's doing the right thing in spite of the fear you naturally feel. And we might go, well, no king's going to put us to death. Let me tell you, it's still a risk to tell people how you really feel. It's still a risk to open up about the things that break your heart. And it's still a risk, especially to tell people in power about how you feel about justice, economic access, protection for the vulnerable, and and structures in the city that are damaging and missing. It's still a risk. To tell someone close to you, it can be a risk to tell them how you feel. Let alone a king. Faith's risk, number one. Number two, faith's request. Nehemiah's courage confronts him with another question from the king. What is it you want? And this is the most famous arrow prayer in the Bible. Love this. I prayed to the God of heaven and I answered the king. I prayed to the God of heaven and I answered the king. When I was 19, I'd recently qualified as an air traffic controller When I was called into my commander's office, it was a Friday. I was due to leave for my first posting, and that was going to start on the Monday morning in Potchefstroom, which was just over an hour from my family and the places I knew at the time. And as I entered the room in front of my officer commanding, all my instructors were there, and the commander came straight to the point. Duval, he said, the Aesterplot base needs another ATC You have first option, but I need an immediate answer. Do you want to go to Cape Town instead of Potch? What do you want? Now, because I'm preaching to Cape Townians mainly this morning, you might think the answer is ridiculously obvious. But Cape Town was not remotely on my radar. Unlike Nehemiah, I hadn't had four months to prepare myself or whatever. But I would be getting on a plane within hours to go to a place I'd seen twice as a little child when my family had come on on holiday. I knew like nobody. Arrow prayer. I prayed to God and I answered my commander. I'll take Cape Town, sir. And so he gave orders to arrange the paperwork and I walked out of the room. End of interview. Outside the door, all still in the HQ and whatever, comes the next arrow prayer, immediately checking on my heart. Arrow, answer the Lord's peace. 
I didn't know it, but Cape Town would become the place where I studied for ministry, where I met my wife, and where some of the people who apparently recommended decades later to Pinelands Baptist Church that they call me as their pastor, they met me during that time. So you can blame my old commanding officer if you really don't like your pastor. But, but arrow prayers only work if you have a bow. And Nehemiah has carefully built this bow that carries him in the arrow prayer. And the bow is a life that takes time for communion and deep relationship with God. You're not going to know in those moments if you don't know what it is to steward and watch over the Lord's peace and his wisdom and his direction in your life. And so Nehemiah is fully in communion with God while he is talking to the king. He didn't have time to stop and pull out his equip series, prayer tools, or his every day with Jesus. He just has to put his request on the line with his heart leaning on God. Now notice this. In this request, he does not ask, please let me go to the city of my ancestors. He says this to the king, big ask. If it pleases you and I have your favor, please send me. Not please let me go. Please send me. I want to be your commissioned representative. I want not just your approval. I want your authority. I want to do this for you. I want the desires of my heart to be authorized and cover my mission in their response. Faith's request. Then faith's plan. As Nehemiah spoke, because now the king's going, okay, let's sort out the detail, timelines, etc. He knows, the king must have smiled, he knows he's been set up by Nehemiah. He loves the guy in any case, but he gets an organized mind and an organized business plan that comes fully loaded. They set timelines. Nehemiah asks for very specific letters of reference, even tells them who they need to be. He negotiates safe passage. Um, he gets supplies from the king's forest. He will not just need a place to stay, but a place from which to govern. He's asking to be governor. We see this later in the letter. Then he establishes accountability, reporting lines, and timelines, etc. It's a good project management business plan that he lays in front of the king. Essentially, he's making sure that this is the king's project covered by the king's resources and the king's protection and is answerable ultimately to the king himself. He knows he's going to need that level of authority. And I am convinced of this. Nehemiah's planning was born of his praying. He never used his spirituality and his prayer as an excuse to not dream and plan, and prepare. You know, last week, the, over the last couple of weeks, the, uh, the steering team has met to consider the shape of ministry for Explore, especially as we start this new year. And, and we can't see. We, we, we genuinely don't know. So what do we do? We actually just started with spending time in prayer and listening. And in our Zoom meeting, Wherever the different guys were, we started receiving prophetic pictures of what ministry could look like. 
and then looking at specific examples of companies out there that, that are using online effectively and building community um, and, and creating connection and accountability. And over these next uh, few weeks, we're going to be inviting you to join us in a week of prayer because we want our planning and our dreaming and our thinking and the shape of things to come to be born first out of this place. We don't want to just be guessing. Don't want to be throwing up arrow prayers without first putting that arrow in a proper bow. And we want to invite us as a congregation to step in and then begin to look. What does the shape of ministry look like? And we're dreaming of content that is compact, inspiring with multiple contributors. So it's not like a one-way com uh, communication, but engaging community between us and our community beyond and our mission. We want people for children's ministry, for testimonies, for prayer, for meals, for community activities, for just uh, in creating content that, uh, that our kids can use and that we can use, that it can help us pray and help us uh, do this thing together. Now, we're not yet as organized as Nehemiah. He had four months. But we have actually used his story to look at what rebuilding must look like for us in our context. And it's kind of time to step into the presence of God with some blue sky thinking possibilities. And don't cloud the issues with obstacles. We all have concerns. Nehemiah had concerns. The walls were down. The gates were burned. But he started allowing himself to dream so that he wasn't at a loss when he heard the king's question. What is it that you want? What is it that you want? Explore. I think a far greater king is looking at us and saying, explore. What is it that you want? Open your heart to me. Take a risk. Faith's risk. Make a request, faith's request, and then come up with faith's plan. It's time to rebuild. So some of the questions we need to pause and think about. Who are the people who would miss out or even suffer if I don't step out, take a risk, make a start? Who are the people who will never know God and his love? Who are the people who go hungry? Who are the people who are lonely? Who are the people who miss out if I don't start acting on my concerns and burdens? What are the ideas drifting around inside my head and my prayer? What are my concerns? What is this vague wish list that, that kind of depresses me? Name it. Who are the key decision makers whose buy-in, humanly speaking, we need, I need, that could give me that kind of authority to begin to act on stuff. What are the resources? What are the letters of reference? Who are people I know that know others? That's what Nehemiah was doing. And how do I turn this into a plan of action? It's time to rebuild. A time to be concerned for others. And a time to start making those contacts count. Roll up our sleeves as parents. It's time to look at all the issues around us and say, how do we rebuild? One of the things we're going to see in this story is how they started building at their own homes. How's my marriage? How's the, how's the faith story in my own home? 
And then how are things that are wider? How's our community as a church? How are we doing? What is there to rebuild? And how's our city doing? And those who don't yet know Jesus will experience the goodness of his kingdom. You see, we could let all these concerns overwhelm us. These circumstances. It's precisely those worrying circumstances for Nehemiah that moved him to faith. You see, the circumstances will just get worse if we don't find faith's risk, faith's request, faith's plan, and lastly, faith's reward. Verse 10, chapter 2, when Sanballat the Horonite and Tobiah the Ammonite official heard about this, they were very disturbed. And what bugged them? Why were they hassled? Someone had come, and this goes back to prove our very first sermon, to promote the welfare, to promote the well-being of God's people, of the Israelites. And the interesting thing is, out of this encounter with the king, by the end of our reading, we find that Nehemiah's burden had become his commission. The very thing that concerned him, that weighed him down, that broke his heart, the welfare and well-being of his people was now his primary assignment from the king. As we will see, Nehemiah almost certainly, and, and we will also face opposition, even if you have the favor of a king. You will face opposition when you take up the welfare of others. You will face opposition when you try and rebuild even in your own home. You will face opposition when you want to see things rebuilt that have been burnt or broken. But don't be afraid to ask, what is it that burdens me? What are those concerns? Is it security? Is it justice? Is it economic access? Is it marriages? Is it spiritual vitality? Is it sanctuary? Is it education? Is it healthcare? Is it using the arts? Is it using technology to shape ideas, to uplift, to comfort, to encourage, and to strengthen? What is it that's grabbing your heart? Let me close with this. Two decades ago, author Stephen Covey's research showed that all of us have, in a sense, a circle of concern which is normally very big. It's the things that bug us. And a circle of influence, which is often quite a little smaller. The things we can actually change. And what his research showed is that our, our circle of concern can overwhelm us simply because it seems so big and we seem so small and there's so little we can do about the things that concern us. But effective people don't diminish their circle of concern. They don't shut off their hearts. They don't stop talking about what concerns them. But they don't focus on it. They focus their lives and their prayers on their circle of influence. In other words, the things that they know they can do, the people they can talk to, the actions they can take, and they don't burn their inner spiritual fuel on the things that worry them, that they're anxious about, they give that to God, cast your cares on him, he cares for you, they, they put that in, in God's hand, and they focus their energy on their circle of influence. And before long, effective people find that their influence is growing. It's not that your circle of concern becomes smaller, although it might become more realistic. 
No longer just, there's nothing I can do about it. That's not true. It's not realistic. So they start seeing the concerns more accurately. But under God, the wonderful thing is that faith's reward for the risk is that like Nehemiah, you become commissioned for the very thing that concerned you. And you walk out of the presence of the king with his approval and his authority to rebuild.